Good evening, everybody. Uh, it's great to be uh, with you this evening, to be able to open up God's Word with you. Uh, if we haven't met, my name is Kevin. Uh, I'm one of the student ministers here at St. George North. Not to be confused with Kevin the minister, uh, I've been told the difference is in the hair. <laughs> hair color. <laughs> we love you, Kev. I uh, have Matthew 25 open in front of you. Uh, it's one of my favorite passages in the Bible. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to digging uh, into this passage with you. The year was 1998. A businessman had just invested a quarter of a million dollars into two uni students. Now imagine that. Firstly, just having a quarter of a million dollars to throw around. But also having that much responsibility with that much money. Well, those two students, they ended up founding a company, you might have heard of it, called Google. And that quarter of a million is said today to be worth over $280 million. Yet for every good story, there's an equally bad one. Who here has heard of Pets.com? If you haven't, there's a reason why you haven't. Now, I know you're tempted to reach for your phone and look it up. Resist that temptation. I'll tell you who they were. They were an online retailer, and they had managed to secure over $300 million in investment capital. $300 million. Yet two years later, they were out of business. You see, we have here a story of a good investment and a story of a bad investment. Now, imagine in life, we all want to invest well with what we have. We all want to put our time and efforts and energy into something that will pay off. We want the little things, as well as the big things, to one day be rewarding. But I wonder if you've ever thought to yourself, how do I know if the things that I'm investing my time and energy into are worthwhile? Will my investments turn out to be a Google story, or will they turn out to be a Pets.com story? And more specifically, in the Christian life, a lot of us invest a lot. We give up a lot of our time, our energy, our efforts. I mean, we just saw that video. You see the murals along the wall. We just had Kids Holiday Club. A lot of you spent days, weeks, some even months, investing in Kids Holiday Club. Was that sacrifice worthwhile? I don't know if you've ever wondered to yourself uh, whether this question, that if I wasn't a Christian, I wonder what life would look like. For most of us, Wednesday nights would clear up. Sundays would clear up. We'll have more time, more money, more energy. And it's often easy to compare. We see Christians and it seems like they don't, they're not investing much at all. It doesn't feel like they're serving and it feels like they've got the best of both worlds. And we look at people who aren't Christian, and it feels like they have whatever they want. And it's so easy to wonder, isn't it? All that time we give up, all our efforts, is it worthwhile? Or is it something that in 20, 30, maybe 40 years' time, we're going to look back on and be filled with regret? Well, in today's parable, we're going to see that God calls us to account. 
God sees what we do, and he rewards us. And so today, today's parable will be an encouragement to keep investing and to keep living for God's kingdom. And so if you see in your outline, I've got three scenes, the giving of responsibility, the reward, and lastly, the warning. So firstly, the giving of responsibility. What is the kingdom of God like? Verse 14. For it is like a man going on a journey. He caught his own slaves and turned over his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability. And then he went on a journey. So we have here a wealthy master. He goes away, we don't know for how long, but we do know that it will be for a while. And so he gives his slaves responsibility over his money. Now, if you look at the footnotes in your Bible, you'll see that at the bottom, a talent is about 6,000 denarii. Back then, a denarii was about a day's wages. Now, I'm a bit of a maths nerd, (laughs) surprise, and so I did my maths. (laughs) And in modern-day terms, one talent works out to be around $1.8 million. So five talents, that's a lot of money, isn't it? Two talents, that's a lot of money. Heck, even one talent, that's a lot of money. Now, as a quick aside, I think it's worth pointing out that a talent simply is a sum of money. Some people read this parable and think that it's a story about how God gives different natural abilities and gifts to his people. Probably because in English, the word talent often means that, like Australia's got talent. (laughs) Or maybe not, (laughs) depending on how you, you think of that show. And so this parable to some is about God giving different abilities to different people. But notice, look at verse 15. It wouldn't make sense of that verse, that God gives different talents or abilities based on their abilities. It doesn't quite work out. This parable is simply about God giving different abilities. Sorry, this parable is simply about God giving money and responsibility for his slaves to invest. A talent is simply money. And so the master gives money to his slaves. Now the story continues, and the master goes on a journey, and at the end of verse 15 to 16, have a look. Immediately, the man who received five talents put them to work and earned five more. In the same way, the man with two earned two more. But the man who had received one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. The man with five talents wastes no time. He's like your model employee. He gets to work straight away, and his work pays off. He earns five more. The man with two talents does exactly the same thing. He gets to work straight away, and his work too pays off. He earns two more. And you would hope that the man with one talent would do the same thing, and maybe even just earn one more. But what does he do? He digs a hole in the ground... He takes his master's money, puts it in the hole, and covers it up. It's kind of like when you hear of people who put their life savings under their mattress. (laughs) It's safe. No one's going to touch it. But it's like he doesn't care. I mean, what's he doing while the talent's in the ground? He's not working like the other two. It's like he's doing nothing for his master. And that's the whole point. He does nothing. 
And we can kind of see where this parable is heading, can't we? The story continues, point to the reward. Verse 19. After a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. The master returns, and we get to watch that scene where each slave comes before his master. So first, the man with five talents, verse 20. The man who had received five talents approached, presented five more talents, and said, Master, you gave me five talents. Look, I've earned five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. The master here is generous. Notice verse 21. He shares his joy with his slave. It's almost like what belongs to his master to the master is shared generously with the slave. We then have the man given two talents, verse 22. Then the man with two talents also approached. He said, Master, you gave me two talents. Look, I've earned two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You are faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. The man with two talents also does his job. And have a close look at the master's response. Look at verse 21 and compare it with verse 23. What difference do you see in how the master responds? Now, uh, it's a bit of a trick question, and so if you're kind of thinking, I've got the answer, I've got the answer, it is a trick question because they're exactly the same. He might have only come back with two talents instead of five talents, but the master is equally generous. And I think there's actually an important lesson to learn from this, because so often in the Christian life, it's so easy to compare. And it goes two ways. It's firstly so easy to look at someone else and think, sounds a bit crass, but it's true, I do so much more than them. I never miss gospel teams, I serve in kids' church, I'm committed to uni ministries, and over time, it's so easy to compare and to either complain or to become proud. And there's a flip side to that too, isn't there? The flip side is that we look at someone else and we think, I just can't do what they do. I try and love those at church, I try and love my family, but by the time I try and juggle everything, life's just exhausting. And so the flip side is that we compare and we become discouraged. This parable tells us not to compare. It doesn't matter who you are compared to someone else. God treats the person with two talents the same as the one with five. And so instead of comparing, instead care what the master will say to you on that last day. There is an enormous encouragement here that as we're faithful with what we've been given, that as we seek to serve our master, God is generous. And so we don't need to play that game of comparison. Rather live for that day when you will hear the master say, well done, good and faithful slave. But the story continues, and we get to our last scene, the warning. Now, you can imagine the second slave walking out, 
and the final slave walking in. We've all been busted before. We've all had to come up to our parents thinking of what excuse am I going to come up with. For some of us, our teachers. For some of you, the principal. (laughs) What is this man's excuse? Verse 24. Then the man who received one talent also approached and said, Master, I know you. Let's just pause for a moment. We've seen how generous the master is, yet he says, I know you. You're a difficult man. Do you see how it's dripping with irony? You're a difficult man, reaping where you haven't sown and gathering where you haven't scattered seed. So I was afraid and went off and hid your talent in the ground. Look, you have what is yours. His excuse was that he was afraid, and so he hid the talent in the ground. But the master's reply gets to the heart of the issue. You see, it's not an issue of fear. It's that he's evil and lazy. Because if you're afraid of investing your money, what do you do? The Commonwealth Bank taught me this in year two with their Starmites program. You would at least put it in a bank, right? And that's what the master says, verse 26. But his master replied to him, you evil, lazy slave. If you, knew where I, if you knew that I reap where I haven't sown and gather where I haven't scattered, then you would have deposited my money with the bankers. And when I returned, I would have received my money back with interest. It wasn't fear that was the issue. It was that he didn't care. You see, the issue wasn't that he wasn't working hard enough or that the amount he earned was too little. It was that he didn't work at all. There was no concern for his master's money. He stashed the money away and did his own thing. There was no concern for his master. And this is the point of the whole parable. Verse 29, have a look. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have more than enough. But from the one who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. You see, it doesn't matter how much we've been given maximize it for God's kingdom. We will all be accountable to God. And so invest as much as you can in God's kingdom. And God generously gives, and he will reward you abundantly in heaven. And I even think some of those rewards, we get a glimpse of them now. That as you invest in God's kingdom, those investments have a ripple effect into eternity. So for example, if you tell someone the gospel, and they become a Christian, You get to see them with the master for all eternity. As you grow in love, as you encourage someone else in godliness, those characteristics will be amplified in eternity. The rewards are future, they're eternal. But we do glimpse them now. As someone becomes a Christian, we taste that joy now. As others grow in godliness, we taste that joy now. And so that glimpse that taste of the future, it should spur us on to use whatever we have and to maximize it for God's kingdom. But if we do nothing, if we don't invest at all, God will hold us to account, verse 30, and throw this good-for-nothing slave into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
It's not the amount you invest that qualifies you for God's kingdom, but doing nothing disqualifies you. Let me say that again. Doing something doesn't save you, but doing nothing disqualifies you. And so invest. Invest wisely in God's kingdom. Now, it's worth saying that this parable isn't all there is to say about salvation. We're not saved by works. It is God's work. He saves. He changes our hearts so that we trust in Jesus. But at the same time, we do need to hear this parable speak. And if we do that, I actually wouldn't be surprised if there are some people here today who just might be feeling a little bit uncomfortable. For some that as we hear this parable, it's possible that our lives have this eerie resemblance to the third slave. Now, I'm not talking about the Christian who's struggling, but I'm talking about the Christian who does nothing. If that's you, then you actually need to feel that discomfort. To think hard about whether you understand the gospel and about whether it's actually changed you. Remember, doing something doesn't save you, but doing nothing disqualifies you. And know that God is generous, that if you turn back, he will welcome you like the first two slaves. And so invest. Invest in God's kingdom. Now, the final challenge is for all of us. It's for us to live for that last day. To live for that day when God will say to us, well done, good and faithful slave. You see, we live life knowing the final outcome. I mentioned before Google and Pets.com. Now imagine if you didn't have to guess which investment would work and which one will fail. Imagine if you could time travel 50 years ahead into the future and come back. You would know exactly what to invest in. You would know what to avoid, what to spend your money on, what to spend your time on. Well, it's kind of like that for the Christian. We've actually been given a glimpse into the future. In other parts of the Bible, we see it's a future where we will be with God forever. There'll be a new heaven and a new earth, and the things of this world will be no more. And in this parable, we've been given a glimpse into the future where God will hold everyone to account. And so the challenge for us is to live for that day. Now, this looks different for different people. Some of us have this amazing capacity where we can juggle work and family and evangelism and still throw ourselves into church. For some, this juggling act is just really hard. Some are gifted evangelists, some are amazing upfront leaders. For others, the idea of upfront is just nerve wracking. Some faithfully just do the small things. It looks different for different people. And that's okay. Remember, we don't need to compare with one another. But the encouragement here is to live for the Master. He is generous, He is gracious. And so use whatever you have to maximize God's kingdom. Because it is worth it. It's an investment that will ring into eternity. It's an investment that's so much better than others who live for this world. It might feel like they have whatever they want, but God will call them to account 
and what they have will fade away. But we know what is to come. And so live for that day. Live for our master. And for that day when we will hear his words. Verse 23. Well done, good and faithful slave. You are faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge over many things. Share your master's joy. Let's finish in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are generous. We thank you that you are gracious. We thank you that you've given us the gospel, that we can look forward to that day when you return. And so we pray that we will use whatever we have now to live for that day, that we won't be like the third slave who does nothing, but would know that your generosity and graciousness spurs us on to keep living for you. And we pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.